Good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. Please take your Bibles and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, please. Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. Let's read that. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. Speaking about Christ, Paul says, It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. We're often reminded that the church is composed of people. The church is not the building. The church isn't the legal papers that give it some official status in the eyes of the state. The church isn't a collection of programs or times or anything like that. All those are tools, but those aren't the church. The church is composed of people. People make up the church. And God's purpose for the church is to build a body of people who are, in Jesus' words in John uh, 4, a group of people who are committed to worshiping God in spirit and in truth and worshiping him in the way that the New Testament prescribes. God's purpose is for the church is for them to be a body who serves and worships God, the people of God, fulfilling his work in obedience to the scriptures. And so we find here in Ephesians, and as a matter of fact, everywhere else in the New Testament, a constant emphasis on how important the church is to God. And the next chapter in Ephesians 5.25, Paul describes Jesus as giving himself up for the church, and by that, laying a foundation for the marriage relationship, how the husband is to give himself up for the wife in sacrificial love for her. We find many other texts in the New Testament that describe that. So we cannot read the New Testament without being impressed by how important the church is to God and how central it is to his purposes right here, right now in our world. Now because God loves the church and because Christ died to institute the church, we would expect then that there would be continued provision for the church to fulfill its functions, to continue on in the purposes that God has for it. And that is exactly what we find here in Ephesians chapter 4, Uh, particularly verses 11 through 16, we find that Christ is deeply concerned about the growth and maturity of the church. 
the growth and maturity of the body of Christ. And he has demonstrated that deep concern by providing gifts to the church through gifted people so that the church can be built up as a body is built up and made healthy and made ready to do what it is intended to do. And that's what we find here in Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. I've, I've tried to capture what's going on in this paragraph in one sentence. I say, to provide for the growth of his church, Christ has given believers gifts and abilities by the Holy Spirit to be used to build up his body so that we all become more like Jesus. I think that's what's being said here. To provide for the growth of his church, Christ has given believers gifts and abilities by the Holy Spirit to be used to build up his body so that we all become more like Jesus. So I'm going to try to, from here, unpack the parts of that statement. And the first part is that Christ has provided gifted people as a gift to his church to build it up. The gifts in this text are, are in, in the form of people specially gifted for the building up and the edification of the body. Now, Paul does not intend to provide a, an exhaustive list. There's more than just these gifts, but he's focusing on these ones because they are essential to the church's establishment and continued existence. Think about the analogy of the body. Parts of our body... We can, we can live without, but we can't function without. Other parts of our body, we, we have to have just to continue living and functioning. And I think it's this latter group that Paul is focusing here. These gifts are uh, specifically concerned with the church's establishment in history and its continued life, that without these things, there would not be a church. There's other gifts, and they're essential to the church's functioning, but these are especially important to their very life and existence. And the first ones he mentions are apostles and prophets. Apostles and prophets form the foundation of the church in history. Apostles were specifically people who were uh, charged with being witnesses from what they had seen of Christ's ministry and, most importantly, of his resurrection. And when we find the apostles and acts going out and establishing new churches and other places, they're always spoken of in terms of witnessing or testifying to the fact of the resurrection. So they had a very special message and a special role at the very beginning to establish the church. Prophets were uh, of a similar kind of people. Just like in the Old Testament, they had the ability to speak authoritatively on behalf of God. So apostles and prophets then form the the foundation for the church. We find apostles, obviously, in the Twelve, and then Paul. Prophets, we find throughout the New Testament, uh, we could think maybe of Agabus in Acts 21, who prophesied that Paul would, in fact, be handed over to the Jews via the Romans and be imprisoned. The necessity, though, of apostles and prophets was very much focused around the beginning of the local church when the New Testament was not yet completed. Their ministries are unique because they're involved in giving people special revelation. You may notice we don't have apostles and prophets functioning today because we have the New Testament, but at that point, 
it was necessary in order for there to be an authoritative basis for the local church. People exercising these gifts had the authority to speak on behalf of God, and it's that ministry of the apostles and prophets providing that revelatory basis that actually is what the New Testament says, the foundation for the church. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. Paul says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Jesus Christ. Uh, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. That's the foundation that's laid upon which the house can be built. The, the revelatory ministry of the apostles and prophets is that foundation there that was uh, necessary for the church to be established. Now, it's important to realize that because we don't have apostles and prophets today, that doesn't mean that there's not ongoing benefit to the ministry of these men back in the beginning of the church. These gifts are still important for us today. Uh, think, for example, of, of a house or a building built on a foundation. Well, even though we don't see the foundation uh, extending up through the walls and into the ceiling, it does stop somewhere. It doesn't mean that the foundation is no longer important. As a matter of fact, the entire building, the entire house is in ongoing dependence on the foundation, right? The foundation is valuable for more than just a basement. It actually holds up the roof, right? It, it is what provides the foundation. And, and this is especially true uh, as we think about this this morning, that we can look at, for instance, the book of Ephesians and hear authoritative truth from God in the book of Ephesians from a letter that Paul wrote. The fact that we are, we are benefiting from Paul's ministry as speaking authoritatively on behalf of God through inspiration, because these are God's words ultimately, demonstrates that we are, we are having ongoing benefit from their ministry in laying that revelatory foundation that says, this is what God says. So, this is the foundation upon which the church is built, the ministry of the apostles and prophets. Paul also mentions uh, three other kinds, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Evangelists are people uniquely gifted with the ability to uh, take the gospel to new contexts and in that process establish local churches in, in new places. Um, when we think about the gift of evangelism, we need to remember that all of us have a role in communicating the gospel to people who've never heard. But there are certain people who are specifically gifted uh, for this task. We see this throughout the New Testament. Philip in uh, Acts 8, was specifically referred to as Philip the Evangelist. And he had a ministry in Samaria, and then he had a ministry to the Ethiopian eunuch. And that was uh, just a testimony to him going out to new places where the gospel was not. Um, Paul himself was very much engaged in an evangelistic kind of ministry. He was always going to new places. He even says, 
I, my work in this area, modern-day Turkey, is done. I'm going now to Spain because I don't want to build on someone else's foundation. It doesn't mean that it would be wrong to continue working in this context where there are local churches established. Paul's point was, I'm going to a new place to continue evangelizing where the gospel is not. He also tells Timothy, who is an established pastor in Ephesus, don't neglect the work of evangelism. So it is more than just going out somewhere. It is also can be localized as well. And that is the gift of evangelism, communicating the gospel in new contexts for the purpose of ultimately establishing new churches and new places. Paul mentions then pastors and other teachers. And he puts these two together. He says pastors and teachers, or we could say pastors and other teachers. And I think the reason why he puts these two together is, is twofold. First of all, to remind us that one of the most important duties of a pastor is to be a teacher. That's even one of their qualifications. In order to be a pastor, a pastor has to be able to teach. So that's one reminder. Uh, the other, I think, reason why he puts those two together is to remind us that there are other teachers, other people in the congregation so gifted, besides just the person who holds the office. That's why I think it's helpful to uh, speak about pastors and other teachers. There's probably plenty of people in this room who have taught Sunday school at some time or had a ministry of some kind of teaching or a Bible study. And, and there is an opportunity where that gift can be exercised even though you may not be a pastor. So pastors and other teachers. And these uh, are in charge of uh, helping the congregation grow towards spiritual maturity. Pastors in particular are charged with the spiritual oversight of a local body, and other teachers fill out that ministry. And we have pastors and teachers today in our churches, and that is where we see the ongoing ministry of them. And, and pastors, teachers, evangelists are all part of that, gift, uh, that group of gifts that continue the, the life and health of a local church. Imagine if we didn't have pastors teachers and evangelists today. We, we would have had a historical start to the church with the apostles and prophets, but it wouldn't continue, would it? If there was no one going to new context to communicate the gospel, if there was no one in the church providing spiritual leadership and oversight, if there was no one in the church able to communicate the truth to build people up, then the church would be no more. So pastors, evangelists, and teachers are very key here. Now we need to step back for a minute and just remind ourselves, as I briefly mentioned at the beginning, that these are not all of the gifts in the New Testament. Uh, there are a number of other gifts. Paul mentions um, in other places gifts of uh, service. Peter even refers to hospitality as a spiritual gift that many people have just a, a wonderful ability for all of that to build up the local body. Paul's purpose, as I said in, in this chapter, is to be a little bit more specific about what gifts actually are the lifeblood of the church, what keeps the church in existence. There are other gifts, though, that are equally important but serve a different role of the church as a function or the function of the body. Not the, the life per se, but the function of the body. 
you can argue, well, I can live without my hand, my arm, or my leg. That is true, but you can't live as well. You can't be as efficient in what you do. You can't function as well without the whole body. And so this is an important reminder that no gift is more uh, important or superior to other people or other gifts. They all serve this purpose of building up the local body and contributing to its function. And Paul's point to emphasize these gifts is to demonstrate the point that Christ cares about the local body. He cares about it being built up. And to show that care and to demonstrate that care, he has given gifted people to exercise their gifts in the context of the body. And that demonstrates Christ's care of his church. The fact that we have people gifted that way emphasizes Christ's care of the church. Now that is what demonstrates it. What is the goal, though? What's the purpose of this gifting? What's the immediate result that we're trying to pursue as a result of pastors, teachers, and evangelists? And he mentions these things in verses, uh, in verses 12 through 13. <clears throat> verses 12 through 13, Paul goes on to say that this was for, uh, he says, to prepare God's people for works of service. Notice that to prepare gives us the purpose behind these gifts. What is the purpose of these gifts? To prepare uh, the people, uh, God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. And so the use of these gifts is for the equipping of believers. We're not talking about an elite class of gifted people in the church who do all the ministry or who are in charge of all the ministry. Those particular gifts that Paul references are for the purpose of building up everyone so that everyone can be a part of the ministry of the church. These gifts are not the primary avenue of ministry in the church. The people are the church, and these are gifted people given to the church to build up the church. These gifts are simply directed towards enabling believers to do the work of the ministry. Evangelists, pastors, and teachers aren't the only parts of the body engaging in ministry. And this equipping, verse 13, results in the building up of the body. That is the purpose of these gifts. Verse 13, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. The use of these gifts to equip believers results in unity in the faith and knowledge of Christ. It's interesting that Paul emphasizes not just knowledge, but unity in that knowledge, unity in the faith and unity in knowledge, unity in the body. Just like it's unhealthy when one part of our body is not uh, functioning correctly in relationship to another part. Why we need unity. Paul is emphasizing this, that there needs to be unity in the body, and that is the goal of these gifts. The use of these gifts is to equip believers, and it results in the local body becoming a mature person. He actually uses that word, a mature man or a mature person. And we need to remember that what Paul is not emphasizing is a collection of mature individuals. Is it important to be individually mature? Absolutely. I don't think anyone would argue otherwise. But what's not being said here is that we should all be individually mature, 
Paul is saying that the use of these gifts is so that all of us, collectively and incorporated into one body, can become a mature person. The mature person in this passage is the local church. That is the mature person. How does a mature person come about? Through all of the parts, working correctly and being built up and contributing to the existence and function of that mature person. So that is, that is the goal of these gifts, that the church would become one unified and well-functioning person, a unified, well-functioning body. This is corporate growth of the body designed and directed towards a mature person. And it brings the church, the use of these gifts, brings the church closer to what Christ intended for us to be. And that's what Paul means when he says uh, the fullness of Christ in the end of verse 13, uh, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, actually achieving what Christ intends for the church. Now, I said that was the immediate purpose. If I could make a distinction here between the immediate purpose and then the end goal. I think we've got the end goal in the next uh, three verses, verses 14 through 16. 14 through 16. The goal of Christ's gifting is to forge a strong and mature church that is healthy in its connection to its head, which is Christ. And Paul is going to state this end goal in two ways. First, negatively, and then positively. Negatively, he's going to say, the goal is not this. The goal instead is this. So what is the goal not? Well, let's look at verse 14. <clears throat> Paul says, Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Paul Uh, continuing that analogy of a body, likens the church to an infant. Now, um, in our culture, uh, we we tend to emphasize that infants are, you know, they're cute, um, they're, I guess whatever we say about them, they're nice. (laughs) We have a uh, a positive perspective on infants, right? Everyone's like, oh, look at that new baby. Well, that is, that is true. Um, Paul's point, though, is to emphasize the importance of maturity because I think every parent, even though they like having that cute baby, every parent wants to see the child grow, right? Matter of fact, if, if you didn't see the child grow or if there was problems in that growth, it would be a huge concern. And so infants in this is, is where we're coming out of. We started there. The church starts there. We individually start there, but that's not where we want to stay. We do want to grow into maturity. And that is what Paul is referring to. He says that we will no longer be infants. And what he's referring to is the goal of this gifting is to grow out of doctrinal naivete and spiritual immaturity. That's where he says the gifts are designed to move us out of that so that we grow out of these things being doctrinally naive or spiritually immature. That is where we're coming from. And this should be individually our own testimonies as well, that 
We once were there because we started out there, but we're not anymore. We are going forward away from doctrinal uh, naivete and spiritual immaturity, and we are actually going on to maturity. And this kind of spiritual immaturity comes in all sorts of varieties. Um, there's, there's spiritual immaturity that is susceptibility to wrong ideas. And Paul is really honing in on that when he says the teachings uh, and every wind of doctrine and that sort of thing. Just susceptibility to wrong ideas, wrong doctrine. And that is, that is something that these gifts and the use of them is designed to bring us out of. There's also spiritual immaturity that comes with just unwise and improper behavior. These are all varieties of that spiritual immaturity that we should be growing out of. And that is the purpose of these gifts. We need to remember, too, that the susceptibility to wrong teaching um, is not a, a neutral thing. Paul says that this wrong teaching is cunning, it's deceitful, it's scheming. And so there's a real protection role of these gifts to safeguard the health and the, and the proper growth of the church against these things that would actually bring harm to the body. The spiritual uh, immaturity or vulnerability is what these gifts are designed to move us out of. And the use of these gifts, Paul says, is directed towards believers in the body growing out of this immaturity and into Christ. And there is clearly a progression. We see that at the very beginning of that verse, verse 14. Then we will no longer be. So this is not where we're supposed to be. We're heading away from this. And then he states the goal positively in verses 15 and 16. Verse 15, he says... Instead, and that's where we see that contrast there, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. So in verse 15, first positively, he says, the goal is to grow into being mature members. And he uses the phrase, speaking the truth in love, to kind of, I think, emphasize two different parts of maturity. Speaking the truth... It means we obviously have an understanding of what the truth is, but then there's also speaking the truth in love, which is truth motivated by the proper, by the proper uh, goal. We can, we can probably think of people who have a grasp of truth, but their use of it is all over the board. It's not what it's supposed to be. Kind of like the Corinthians. Remember, Paul said, you, know, you guys are arguing about your rights to eat meat in the temple. And he's like, sure, you've got some knowledge. It wasn't complete knowledge, but there was some knowledge there. But their knowledge was directed towards what they could justify for themselves. Their goal was to say, hey, we know what's true, and we are using this knowledge so that we can justify that this is right for me. It's okay. I'm fine because I, I know this is all right. Paul's point was, you have knowledge, but you're not even thinking about the use of it directed towards loving other people in the body. Your use of your knowledge is just directed towards yourself. Speaking the truth in love. Or imagine love that's not motivated or that isn't energized by truth. That's not very helpful, is it? You've got to have truth and love. Speaking the truth in love, we will grow up into him who is the head. This is 
that we will have a healthy connection to the head of the body, which is Christ. And through him, we will grow up into Christ in, in all ways, in every way, that every part of our life and our existence and our, our function will have its proper relationship to Christ. Paul also states the second part of this positive goal in verse 16. From him, that's referring to Christ, from him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. The goal of the gifting that he mentioned a couple verses back is ultimately to be sound members of the body of Christ with a healthy connection to our head. Uh, Paul says in other places that when one part of the body is negatively affected, the rest feel that. Now, this, this is also true of, of spiritual growth. When one part of the body is lagging behind spiritually, there's an effect on the whole body. The goal of this is for all parts of the body to be healthy, to be mature, to have a healthy connection to the head. Just like if my hand was not completely connected to my body, everything else about my hand might be fine, but the connection is a serious problem. We need to have a healthy connection to the head so that we will all be a one, single, unified, functional body. And Paul emphasizes this when he uh, talks about the individual contribution of the body to the health, uh, individual contribution of the members to the health of the body. He says, as each part does its work. So I emphasize the fact that the church is a body. It's not a separate, distinct collection of people. It is a single organism, but we are individually members of this body, and so we do have a significant uh, influence on the body, either positively or negatively. And Paul's point is to say that as each part does its work, that is where the growth of the body comes in. All of these uh, gifts that he mentioned are directed towards the health of the body. The, the local church in every place is, in some sense, the same, right? The church is, is very much the same in the U.S. as it is in, in Zambia, for instance. We've got people who are in need of personal growth so that they can be healthy members of one body. Our goal in Zambia is to be a part of this growth of that body. The church in the U.S. needs growth. The church in Zambia needs growth. And God has gifted Zambian believers for ministry. So they don't need me to come there and supply all the gifting because God has gifted everybody. Everyone who is a part of the body has a gift. What I want to do is to go to Zambia and be a part of the equipping side of things that helps them to use their gifts more efficiently. That is what's going on in the U.S., in the church in the United States. That's what's going on in the church in Zambia, as we talk about church in a local area. And in all of these uh, areas or parts of the church around the world, Christ is working through the gifts that he has provided to bring about maturity and growth in the body. And for that, 
we can stand back and, and marvel at the wisdom of God in the church that he made. He made it. It's his church. And this is how he has provided for the growth of body. And we can praise him for that, and we can contribute to the growth by being healthy members. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for how you are working to build your church. And we thank you that Christ has promised that nothing will hinder the growth of that church ultimately. And we pray, Lord, that you would use your word today to uh, strengthen our hearts to, um, to godliness and to maturity as healthy members of your body. And we pray, Lord, that the ministry that we do in your church would be motivated for the proper goal of uh, seeing the body mature so that it would become more like Jesus and that we could honor him through that. We pray, Lord, that uh, you would use this text in, in our hearts individually. Pray this in Christ's name, amen.